Influencing popular culture, politics, and everything in between. The local station takes you ringside as we discuss the crazy world that is professional wrestling. This is Going Ringside with the local station. Hello there, and thank you for joining us today for another episode of Going Ringside. So glad you could be with us. The podcast continues to grow like I do every episode. I ask you wrestling fans, please spread the word in person or online to any other wrestling fan you might know that we're out here. We continue to try to spread the word about the show. Hope we can put some good content out there for you. Had a real good positive response last week from the show with <coughs> Ken Shamrock, which was a lot of fun. You can go back and watch it. It's episode eight where he talked to us all about, you know, who the, <coughs> excuse me, who the real tough guy wrestlers are that he got injured more in pro wrestling than he did ever in um, UFC, which is interesting. He said it's a much more grueling schedule in wrestling. He talked about the dream fight with Brock Lesnar. Go back to episode eight um, if you want to hear all that from Ken Shamrock. So today, you know, we've talked about wrestling, the wrestling business, and different wrestlers and all that. But today we got to talk about something maybe a little more serious, uh, and that is some actual criminal filings. And that involves Ted DiBiase Jr. right here is the federal indictment of Ted DiBiase Jr. for a very complex fraud scheme that the state of Mississippi uncovered now that the Department of Justice is looking into. This was, uh, this was unsealed this, week, this past week. We learned about it, and we learned about the charges against Ted DiBiase Jr. in this very complex welfare scam that's been documented for years. Now we're hearing Ted Jr. Um, that he could face some very serious jail time. Some speculate at a maximum, which is unlikely, 80 years in prison. So there's some serious stuff going on out there. This is a complex, major fraud case. Some have said the biggest one in the history of the state of Mississippi involving welfare funds, other notable names who have been uh, brought up in this. Million Dollar Man, Ted DiBiase, not criminally charged at all, but he has been involved in some civil suits and had to pay back some money. Uh, NFL legend Brett Favre, also not charged, but the same involved in some civil lawsuits. And um, Ted's brother, Brett, who did um, plead guilty to some lesser charges late last year. Um, so this, we're going to break down what this is. Uh, a little later in the podcast, we're going to be talking to a, um, a uh, defense lawyer who specializes in this type of stuff with Plata Shot Law, Belkis Plata is her name. She'll join us a little later in the podcast. She's based here in Florida to analyze what this is. She's not affiliated with this case, but she's going to help us analyze this. We're going to hear uh, a quote from uh, DiBiase's lawyer here. We're also going to hear what Virgil has to say. Million Dollar Man Ted DiBiase Sr.'s old uh, on-camera bodyguard, he's even tweeting about this, and Ted Sr is also tweeted about this as well with a tweet that he later took down, but we were able to see it and we'll um, bring that for you today. <clears throat> it's just a complex story. So what happened was there are different types of funds in the state of Mississippi. Um, I'm reading from the Justice Department news release they put out on this. One is the Emergency Food Assistance Program, which is called TFAP, and then the other one, which I've heard of, is called the Temporary Assistance for Needy Families, TANF, 
which is welfare dollars for families who are very low income. There is an extremely high amount of low income people in the state of Mississippi. Um, so, you know, welfare dollars are critical to so many families there. Um, and <clears throat> that's what this was about. The misuse of funds from people who had access to them would get grants, and some of those grants went to Ted Jr.'s um, organizations that he ran now that he's out of wrestling. Ted Sr. has a, a mission organization that received some funds. He was asked to pay back, but not criminally charged. But Ted Jr. is. Um, there were, there was, there's talk in this release that he used um, the money to buy things like, I'm reading from the release here, a vehicle, a boat, a down payment on the purchase of a house, among other expenditures. Some pricey stuff. Um, and they say that his, his organizations were given millions of dollars. So we're going to break that down. Before we do that, I want to get a little into the, who the DiBiases are um, as a family. They are a wrestling family, a longtime wrestling family, um, and, and have really been in the industry and the public eye for decades. Um, so it really became nationally known as a family with Ted Sr., the million dollar man. Um, back in the 1980s, he was a second generation wrestler. His dad had wrestled. And then Ted Sr. Um, was a good wrestler in the territory system. He would go back and forth between all the territories. He, would, he won titles. He really made a name for himself in the territory system. I remember as a kid watching him. I want to say it was an old UWF or, or Mid-South show that must have been on like an ESPN or somewhere on cable. And I saw this guy, Ted DiBiase, I want to say beat the one-man gang, which I couldn't believe it happened because Ted didn't have that uber bodybuilder physique, which people like Hulk Hogan did at the time. But Ted was a solid performer, so solid. Vince McMahon eventually brings him in in the late 1980s. Right as the were kind of coming out of the uh, Rowdy Roddy Piper, Iron Sheik, Nikolai Volkov, Big John Stud, they need to bring in new heels. They start bringing in guys like Ravaging Rick Rude, Jake the Snake Roberts, and the million-dollar man, Ted DiBiase. Arguably, as an employee of WWF, maybe the greatest gimmick you could ever be given because consider what it was like to be a pro wrestler. It wasn't an easy lifestyle. It may have seemed glamorous on TV, but these guys are fighting for a living night after night and city after city. You have to travel all over, uh, uh, you know, and maybe not great plane flights or uh, rental car rides or whatever the case may be from town to town. Just, just a hard life. Well, Ted DiBiase, he uh, essentially won the lottery when he joined because this was back in kayfabe when you had to keep the gimmick. Um, and he was the million dollar man. So Vince McMahon couldn't hire a big heel named the million dollar man and have people out in public see him pull up in, you know, a compact car and sitting in coach. That would ruin the gimmick. Kayfabe was really alive back then. So to do it, I've heard the stories that DiBiase would essentially be given the best service possible limo service, first-class planes everywhere. Um, I remember watching an episode of Lifestyles of the Rich and Famous, if you remember that old show with Robin Leach, um, and they did a segment on Million Dollar Man Ted DiBiase in gimmick, in character, portraying him as this multi-million dollar, very wealthy man. And they would, uh, I think I've heard the story, I'm pretty sure they said they taped it at Vince McMahon's house. 
because Vince obviously had the largest state there, and you have Teddy there, um, and he looks uh, like he's very wealthy. So it was great for him. And Ted was a very good heel. He would come all the, he used Flash as money. He had Virgil as his bodyguard um, there, kind of the sleeveless, big muscle guy, um, ready to take you down, very stoic, not saying much. Eventually, him and Virgil parted ways, and they feuded, um, which was a big thing for Virgil. That was the high point, <clears throat> really, of Virgil's career. And so Ted DiBiase, you know, he does these things where he invites people on stage to say, I'll offer you 100 bucks or whatever, 500 bucks, if you do this for me here, do some push-ups, do whatever. One of the most famous ones is he has a little boy, and this was a shoot. It, it was a real thing. They didn't warn the child or his parents ahead of time that what was going to happen. He said, little boy, if you dribble this basketball 10 times, I'll give you this money for your family. <clears throat> so the little boy starts dribbling it, and at nine dribbles, Ted kicks the ball. You can look it up and the boy doesn't get the money. He was an incredible bad guy, just a jerk. And that's what you want, that was his job, was to be a bad guy, was to be this arrogant, playing a multi-multi-millionaire, wealthier and better than everyone, and Ted did a really good job with it. He eventually found himself in the heavyweight title picture, and um, I think it was called the main event. It was a, it was a NBC show for wrestling they did in the late 1980s. After WrestleMania III with um, Hogan and Andre were in the main event, and I want to say it was the highest rated wrestling show in history like tens of millions of people, I think the highest rated NFL show was getting ratings like that. Um, <clears throat> wrestling had never seen ratings like that. I don't think they have since. Um, and, and Ted was involved and he, Andre won in a, in a chaotic uh, screw job on Hulk Hogan with uh, twin referees. Look back at it if you want to read the whole story, but Ted bought the title and, and he was just a very high-profile bad guy in WWF during that time. Um, and so he did that for a while. And then eventually he continued the Million Dollar Man gimmick. He started Money's Inc. with ironically being what we're talking about, Mike Rotunda as IRS was his tag team partner and always talked about paying your taxes. And here we are in the DiBiase family caught up in this scandal here. So he does that. Then he starts the Million Dollar Corporation with all his stable and he's kind of gets out of active wrestling and gets into more of a managerial role. And then eventually he's the first manager for Stone Cold Steve Austin when he's the million dollar champion, the ringmaster. And then eventually Ted leaves and he goes to WCW and they call him, I think, Billionaire Ted. Um, and he was kind of originally portrayed as the money man behind the NWO New World Order with Hogan, Hall and Nash. Didn't last very long, DiBiase got out and he was done. He eventually came back to WWF, um, <clears throat> WWE at this point in the 2000s, worked as a backstage guy, and he would be on camera on occasion because everyone knew DiBiase. He was known very much for his, his laugh, his evil laugh. He was so good at it. Um, and he did this for a while, and Ted, at this point, starts to go through changes in his life <clears throat> because he had lived that hard wrestler life. It's just just not a good place. And a lot of wrestlers, particularly in the 80s and 90s, will tell you it wasn't a good place. And he turned his life around and he became a Christian minister. Um, and he started um, a ministry called, I want to say Heart of David Ministries is I think what the name of it is. And he has become 
since then one of the most well-known evangelical preachers in the nation, um, which makes this controversy just an added um, element to it that, that Ted DiBiase is a well-known um, you know, evangelical minister um, and has been for several years right now. And it really talks about, in his testimony, his life um, in wrestling and <clears throat> how he was not living the Christian lifestyle there. So now he's involved, caught up <clears throat> in this. Once again, Ted DiBiase Sr., not charged with any crime, but he has had to pay back monies that were given to his charities uh, by the uh, welfare dollars in the state of Mississippi. Ted Jr., who is the source of this indictment, let's talk about him. Ted Jr. gets involved in uh, wrestling, like his dad, in the latter half of the first decade of the 2000s, around two, oh, oh 08, oh 09, somewhere in there. And he joins a stable called um, with Randy Orton and, um, and Cody Rhodes, and they start a stable that is very strong stable where they are essentially showing that they're better than all the other wrestlers. They're called Legacy. I'm sorry, I was, couldn't remember the name off the top of my head, but they were Legacy. And they had um, a very good run. They were kind of uh, DiBiase and Cody Rhodes would follow Randy Orton's lead because he'd been there a while. And they, they had, I think, a several-year run as a very good heel stable. And then eventually Ted breaks away and goes out on his own. He eventually adopted his dad's million-dollar man gimmick. His dad gave him the million-dollar belt with, it was, looked like gold dollar signs with diamond plated all over the front. So it was exciting for him, you know. He's, he brings, in, brings back Virgil, um, and Virgil is his bodyguard for a while. It's just ironic that he's playing this million-dollar man character, and then here we are, um, you know, years later. So he's there till around 2013, and then <clears throat> he leaves. And I think I've seen interviews where Ted Jr. was interested in um, some of the ministry or giving back to the community kind of like his dad did. And he started um, some organizations. Some of them are the names Priceless Ventures LLC, and Familiae Orientem, LLC for Social Services. Familiae, spelled F-A-M-I-L-I-A-E. Um, and so these are a couple of his companies. So between 2016 and 2019, there's a whole lot of controversy over um, Emergency Food Assistance Program and the Temporary Assistance for Needy Families Program from a, a, the Department of Human Services in Mississippi. And the director at the time is a man by the name of John Davis. There's other, a couple other co-conspirators who are you know, listed in these documents named Christy Webb and Nancy New. And they start distributing funds. Before we go on DiBiase, I want to mention real quickly Brett Favre, the legendary NFL quarterback. He's also been kind of tied to this, as I said, not criminally charged at all, but he did have money that was given. Uh, some of it was used or they say funneled to help um, fund a volleyball court at uh, the University of Mississippi where his daughter played volleyball um, 
uh, kind of a volleyball arena. So that's been a whole controversy. You can look up the Brett Favre controversy. It's its own, it's its own animal. If you're an NFL fan and want to know a little more about that, I think he's still fighting that controversy and that civil suit, once again, not criminal in nature. Ted DiBiase Jr., however, is criminal <coughs> in nature. <coughs> Um, once again, he's only been uh, indicted. He has not been convicted, and he still will have his day in court coming up. So um, the, the people involved in, with these funds start funneling millions of dollars to a few places. The Family Resource Center of North Mississippi, Inc., and the Mississippi Community Education Center. And along the way, some of that money is funneled to um, DiBiase's ventures, and I want to read you kind of how they portrayed it in the Department of Justice news release they put out late this week when the um, indictment was released. Uh, but, 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 let me find it for you. So, Davis, uh, sorry, I'm just trying to find the exact words for you. So, as further alleged in the indictment, under these sham contracts, how, that's how they call it, sham contracts, the organizations provided millions of dollars in federal funds of these uh, welfare dollars to DiBiase and his companies for social services that DiBiase did not provide and did not intend to provide. Intent will probably uh, play a role in um, this trial as well. DiBiase allegedly used these funds to buy a vehicle and a boat and for that down payment on the purchase of a house. So he's charged with a lot of crimes. I want to read them to you. One count uh, to commit wire fraud and to commit theft concerning programs receiving federal funds. Six counts of wire fraud. Two counts of theft concerning programs receiving federal funds. Four counts of money laundering. Some, some, some uh, you know, not good stuff. Um, and as a result, he needs to have his day in court now. So I want to pull you up. So DiBiase has not said a lot. So he was recently, in the last few days, in the last week or so, um, on uh, a, a TV reporter at a local station in um, Mississippi caught up with Ted DiBiase as he left court. And I have done this many times as a TV reporter for decades. Um, kind of how it works is you don't get a lot of access to the defendant. Um, they're in court. And you might be able to be in there. You might be able to be in there with a camera and record it. It depends on the state you're in. Um, but you don't, get, you don't have the ability to interview them and ask them questions. They're not going to take calls from you. If you go to their house, they're not going to open the door. So really, there's one place a journalist can access a defendant, and that is the steps to the courthouse. If you look it up, you can find it on online. It was one of the local stations in Mississippi. A reporter intercepts Teddy DiBiase, Ted DiBiase Jr., and um, his, his representative there as they were leaving the courtroom. And the, and the reporter with a microphone uh, is, you know, peppering him with questions as he goes from the courthouse door to his car, which is pretty standard for a lot of people in cases like these when they leave a federal courthouse. And he's peppering him with questions. DiBiase did not answer any other than just say something along the lines of Jesus loves you multiple times, trying to put on a good face, because he likely knew that he was going to be hit with a camera when he walked out of the courtroom. And a, a, um, a veteran defense lawyer would know that the media would be out there waiting on you, because it is a high-profile case in Mississippi for multiple reasons. One, because of the mismanagement of government funds, and two, because DiBiase is a public figure and high-profile in the state of Mississippi.
So nothing comes out of it, but his uh, attorney, Scott Gilbert, has had a lengthy statement released on multiple uh, media outlets, and I want to read what he said to you. This is for my director. You can put them on the screen now, and I'll read them to you. After being forced to sit quietly for nearly three years while opportunists took unabated swings at Teddy and his family, Teddy now has the opportunity to fight back publicly. As much as every one of us have the right to decide for ourselves whether our government is effective or prudent in the way it carries out its functions, criminalizing what, in hindsight, may be fairly characterized as poor fiscal management by the executive branch of state government is a dangerous and worrisome precedent. Interesting things the lawyer says there, going after poor fiscal management by the executive branch of the state government is a dangerous and worrisome precedent. So that makes me really think that the lawyer, when this does go to trial, may be going after the state of Mississippi and say, you're mismanaging this money. Can't put this on my clients. Also, Ted DiBiase Sr. put this out not long after this came out on Twitter. He tweeted this. I'd like to personally issue an apology for an untimely post that was published through my social media channels earlier today. As you know, I try to share nostalgic memories from my wrestling career as a way for fans to revisit their childhood memories. Since my time is limited due to travel requirements, the posts are approved by me ahead of time and scheduled for a later date. Our family is currently navigating a difficult season, and while we cannot speak to these events publicly, we appreciate your prayers during this time. Please note that I truly appreciate the love and support from the fans. You have been a part from our, you've been a part of our family for more than 40 years, and for that, I could never thank you enough. So I didn't get a lot of context on what this statement was about. I don't know the social media post he was referencing. Um, I didn't get, a, I couldn't get the clarification, but I noticed. Not long after this was put up, it's no longer on his Twitter feed. So I don't know if that was something he decided to put up and take down or if that was on the vice of counsel um, because you, you need to know that lawyers are heavily involved in how the family is um, um, acting publicly at this point and what they want to put out there. But he did put that on, on Twitter. Um, so that's kind of out there, and that's where this is at right now as we wait and see. So the indictment was handed down. Now it goes through the lengthy federal court process. And, and what could DiBiase face? Could he face the full 80 years? Will he get a, a, a much lower sentence as this goes on as they work their way through the court system? I also wanted to know, because there's so many people involved in this case, could the federal government leverage uh, DiBiase if he'll testify against others? In this case, we'll have to see. I wanted to kind of get a better handle on this. So I sat down with a local political, or excuse me, a local defense attorney who knows a lot about these types of cases, Belkis Plata with uh, Plata Shot Law here in Northeast Florida. We sat down and discussed this, what will happen going forward. Here's my interview with uh, defense lawyer Belkis Plata, not affiliated with this case, as we discuss what is going on with this DiBiase indictment. Here you go. Okay, joining me now to help me break down this uh, indictment is Belkis Plata with Plata Shot Law based here in Florida. Belkis, thank you for joining us today. Happy to be here. Well, tell me a little about, you, you've, uh, you've analyzed the story and kind of looked at this indictment with me. What can we take away from it right now? He's got multiple charges against him, DiBiase Jr. does. Yeah, so it appears that there was a scheme going on for several years between him and some of his close friends or associates 
where they were um, falsely providing information to the government to obtain funds that were meant for some of our most needy people and using it for their own benefit. So this is a federal indictment. Obviously, it now needs to go to court and we need to, you know, he's innocent until proven guilty. Uh, do the feds usually have a good conviction rate? Absolutely. Uh, the, the feds do an absolutely amazing job at investigating their cases, and they normally do not bring them um, to a grand jury for an indictment until they have everything that they need for a conviction. So his defense lawyer has put out a statement essentially saying, now my client gets to have his day in court and tell his side of the story. Obviously, he hasn't been able to say anything publicly, which would not be a surprise. I mean, is it feasible his defense counsel has case here with such a large case with so many moving parts? I don't think so. I mean, I think it's pretty clear from what the indictment says about how they have taken all of these funds and the fact that the federal government already has a couple of people that appear to be their allies who are going to be testifying. Um, I don't see where the defense is really going to be able to get their client out of this one. Does this make it difficult for a defense counsel when you have multiple people who are charged, they could testify against each other, they're separately questioned, that type of thing? Absolutely. I think as a defense attorney, you really have to have a conversation with your clients, a coming to Jesus meeting, as we like to call it, and say, look, these are the facts. This is what they have. It's probably in your best interest to come forward sooner than later um, to cooperate and try to get the least amount of time. So if they do cooperate, I mean, what's the benefit of that? Can he cut down on his jail time? Does he testify against other people involved here? Absolutely. So yes, getting less time is absolutely one of the, the greatest components of cooperating, is getting that benefit, using that as a mitigator. Um, obviously, the judge is going to be sometimes more lenient on those who cooperate, who don't go against the government. They come forward and they say, yes, I did this, you know. Um, and so I think the, the federal government may be interested, but then there's also those times where they're not interested because their case is so airtight, they don't need your help. And as far as I've heard one speculation, he could face a maximum 80 years in prison. Is that likely or is that not necessarily likely in a case like this? I, I don't see that very likely. I mean, I think the really high number um, sentences we see are for really serious violent crimes, crimes against children, white collar crimes, not so much. So it's possible you could have a considerably lesser sentence. Could Is it possible attorneys could argue out of jail time, suspended sentence, anything like that? Yes. Yeah, so it really depends on how much they fight this and if they're cooperating and whether the this, uh, government is going to be interested in working with him. But yes, he could look at a reduced sentence, you know, maybe something in the single digits, um, maybe a suspended sentence, maybe a probationary sentence. In these types of cases, they're really, really interested in getting that money back to get it to the right hands. And so if he's going to give up his house or give up money he has in banks, those are things that they're also also going to consider. His dad has not been criminally charged at all in this, but he has been in a position where he's had to give back monies. Would we likely have seen all the, the criminal charges that are going to be filed in this case or could more come? I mean, this is such a large, complex case. Sure. So from the indictment, it seems that these things happened many years ago. So I imagine that they have subpoenaed bank records and trying to figure out um, what ties people to certain funds, 
you know, what people misappropriated their funds. So it's possible that we've seen everyone who's going to be, be indicted, but it's also possible that those cooperating witnesses could provide information to the government that they can then use to continue their investigation and bring more people into this indictment. With the volume of things that, that the, the feds are saying that he was spending this money on, possibly a boat and, and large mm -hmm. ticket items, and this is a complex series of money moving around, I'm assuming he's not going to be able to plead ignorance. I mean, the oh, feds absolutely. will be able to prove that he knew what he was doing. Absolutely. I think the fact that some of these shell companies really were just created for the purpose of doing these things. There was a company he created and the following day he got, I don't you know, half a million dollars or something. Um, and then you see that money being transferred from his business accounts to his personal personal accounts. So there's really no way he's going to be able to say, oh, I didn't see that million dollars come into my bank account and that half a million dollars. That works. Belkis Plata with Plata Shot Law based here in Florida. Thank you so much for joining us, Belkis. Thank you. Have a great day. So that was our discussion uh, kind of on the legal. She said that uh, DiBiase's lawyers could very well have to have a, quote, come to Jesus meeting with him about what they're going to have to do. She does not think the 80 years is going to happen. That wouldn't happen. DiBiase is 40 now, so you have to wonder if there is jail or prison time, how long that will last. I've covered a lot of uh, federal trials like these. One that comes to mind was a congresswoman here in Northeast Florida who was on trial, um, and she was eventually convicted for a fraud case, went to federal prison for a few years. She was released early due to the pandemic. Um, but, you know, the, the feds I've seen most of the time do have a pretty good um, record of being able to, to um, convict. Once again, the indictment, as they'll say at the bottom of this news release from the Justice Department, that this is only an allegation. He has not been um, proven guilty at this point. Um, but I do want to go through the indictment, which, as I said, I got a copy of here. We'll uh, put a link to this when, in our web article, which you can read right now at newsforjax.com if you're watching us on YouTube or listening to us on Spotify. Um, we have an article on this at newsforjax.com where we'll um, upload the entire indictment to that article and you can read it. But I want to read you some of the things in the section of the indictment called overt acts. So monies he took. So I'm just going to read these in order to you. On or about May 15, 2018, FRC entered into a sham contract with DiBiase through Priceless. That was one of his organizations for approximately $500,000 purportedly for leadership outreach services for FRC. On or about May 15th, same date, made two payments totaling approximately $500,000 in federal funds to Priceless. The same day, made approximately $500,000 in federal funds to Priceless. Interesting that he uses the word the priceless. It still kind of plays up on that million dollar man. Everyone's got a price wrestling gimmick. Um, uh, on uh, that same day, DiBiase deposited approximately $1,020,000 in federal funds received from FRC and MCEC into a checking account at Bank Plus in the name of Priceless. On or about May 22nd, uh, 2018, five days later, entered into a sham contract through Priceless for about $498,000 to assess the need for emergency food assistance. Um, June 26, 2018, the day after the formation of 
Familier in Wyoming, which was one of his organizations. FRC entered into a sham contract with DiBiase through Familier for approximately one million purportedly to create the RISE program to address needs of inner city youth. On or about October, October 1st, 2018, they entered into a sham contract with DiBiase for approximately a quarter of a million dollars, purportedly for the delivery of services for MCEC, and that's obviously a violation. I want to go back to that line from their news release from the Department of Justice, where they, uh, where is it, um, where it says they provided millions of dollars for and for DiBiase and his companies for social services that DiBiase not only did not provide, but did not intend to provide. But as you heard from DiBiase's lawyer pointing fingers in that statement at the kind of the mismanagement from the administrators of the state of Mississippi, because there are a lot of people involved here. Um, so we'll have to see on the wrestling front. Um, Virgil, uh, Ted Senior's old bodyguard, bodyguard on camera. I, I think I've read that they they they've parted ways. Don't have a great relationship anymore. I, I don't know the details of that, but I do know that shortly after this news broke, like not long after all, uh, hours later, he tweets on at that real Virgil, or at the real Virgil. He tweets uh, uh, a link to the article and says, "Looks I'll be looks like I'll be getting my belt back." Ha, 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 Ted laugh. The belt being the million-dollar million title um, because Ted and Virgil, when they feuded, it was back and forth like who had uh, the million-dollar title. Um, so so interesting there that the, the way Virgil is responding to this. A lot of people in the wrestling world are outraged by this, and, and the DiBiase's are going to be vulnerable to criticism because, uh, guilty or not, they're involved in this process, and they're overt with their Christian faith. And, and, and Ted Sr., of course, being an evangelical preacher, we'll have to see what happens with that. I, I know Ted was in the process of starting a new podcast, a wrestling podcast. We'll be monitoring to see what happens with that because likely you don't know what lawyers want you saying publicly. Um, going out into the public sphere, speaking publicly, even if it's just about wrestling, you know, you, you've got to be very cautious in what you say out there. Um, so I have seen that Ted Jr. will have another court date coming later this year, and that's usually what happens. Um, now that the indictment has been um, handed down, they will start having um, multiple um, pre-trial agreements. They might negotiate. They may negotiate a settlement before then, or it could go to a full jury trial. It will be a slow slotting process. Um, it may be something where, you know, the the, uh, the lawyer said that you, Teddy hasn't really been able to say anything publicly. Well, now they can fight back publicly in court. They can lay out their uh, their case, and, and we will have to watch that in the state of Mississippi. But that is kind of the basics of, of this story that just kind of came up. We've been hearing about it for years, but when this indictment was handed down last week, it really took on a lot more traction. There's been a lot of national articles about this. Everyone's following it because the DiBiase family is such a well-known name in wrestling, and, of course, it's tangential tangentially related to the Brett Favre scandal. Brett Favre, a extremely high-profile person. It's a story we will continue to monitor, but that's kind of where things are at right now. 
as Ted DiBiase fighting for his freedom, fighting to stay out of prison, and the state and the federal government is going after him in just a just a chaotic mismanagement of um, welfare funds in one of the poorest states in the union, and that's where it's at. So that's our delve into the indictment of Ted DiBiase Jr. We, of course, will follow this. If something major happens, we will revisit it. But we thank you for joining us today on Going Ringside with the Local Station. As I said at the top of the podcast, you know, spread the word of the show to friends, family, anyone you know who might like wrestling. If you talk to them in person or if you share it online in wrestling groups, wherever the case may be, we'd love to help get the word out about the show we have going on on the world that is pro wrestling. Thanks for joining us today on Going Ringside with The Local Station. This has been Going Ringside with The Local Station, brought to you every Wednesday on your favorite podcast player, on News 4 Jax Plus, as well as the News 4 Jax YouTube channel.